find it ironic that, that this is about 40 days of more and we're eating a lot less. I'm not quite sure how that happens, but I for one apparently have 40 days of less after this is finished and do that. Right, this morning I want to talk about the importance and the power of making a response, but I'm going to start by praying. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you this morning that you want to speak to us. Lord, that you've got a heart for us, a vision for us, a passion for us. For each and every person in this room, I want to thank you. There is nobody excluded from your love and your passion and your vision. And I want to pray this morning in the next half an hour, Lord God, that you would speak to us. Lord God, I want to pray that you would help us to receive your word, that it would be met with faith and a responsive heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, have you ever wondered how Jesus got away with some of the things that he did? Like, I mean, I don't mean to be facetious, but like, so there was a guy who needed healing, uh, who had blindness in his eyes. But Jesus didn't just pray for him, did he? He spat in the, on the ground and made some mud and put the mud in the man's eyes. And I kind of think... Do you know what I mean? How must that man have felt? Did he ever think, what is going on here? What have I done? Or the, the kind of feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus essentially took a small boy's packed lunch to, to do it, which is kind of, you know, normally the thing reserved for the school bully, isn't it? Taking a small boy's packed lunch. Or, um, you know, the way he kind of frequently went around and just kind of invited himself into people's houses, didn't he? I mean, he makes Paul Corelius look shy and retiring on that. <laughs> You know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just coming to your house today. And the, the, the challenging thing is, I, well the thing I find challenging is that Christians are called to do what Jesus did. But I kind of think if I try to replicate some of those things, well, it would be a little bit uncomfortable, wouldn't it? And actually, I think it would probably be quite uncomfortable on both sides. But the reality is, sometimes being a Christian or becoming a Christian or kind of growing and being part of a church involves Jesus asking us to do things that can be quite uncomfortable. You know, I'm really aware of the fact that for some people, becoming a Christian is just, um, you know, it has huge implications in terms of being disowned by one's family, in terms of the kind of lifestyle changes people have to put in place. It's a huge ask, isn't it? And even just kind of... uh, you know, for, for me, becoming a Christian wasn't like such a challenge. My parents are Christian, you know, and it, it was kind of, there was that background there. But, um, but after that, it required quite a bit of, of lifestyle change. I, I became a Christian towards the end of my first year at university. And so uh, throughout my second year, um, my general approach was to do everything I did before, but to go to church on a Sunday morning. And I have to say, if you find church on a Sunday morning a bit boring, you should try it with a hangover. It is no fun whatsoever. And I didn't go to a sleepy little Methodist church. I went to a charismatic church with drums and trumpets and all sorts. Not good. And actually, kind of um, becoming a Christian and that process of growth involves sacrifice. Towards the end of my second year at university, after kind of doing this for a year, I, I sort of decided you know, I need to do something different. And I kind of felt like God was calling me to, um, to give up alcohol at the time. And, um, 
you know, I was a student. That was a huge sacrifice for me, particularly for how I'd been living in my first and my second years. And, and I kind of just doing that involved big implications in terms of my relationships with my friends and my social life and the kind of things that I did. So, you know, um, Jesus sometimes asks us to do things that are uncomfortable. Even just on a Sunday morning responding to a sermon, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I want you to stand up. Have you ever been there? And, and the kind of the, the preacher is saying and, and uh, kind of giving a long list of people, things he wants to respond. And it's like, oh, that could be me. That could be me. Oh, no, but he didn't mention this. So that's definitely not me. So I don't need to come up to the front now. Sometimes just responding to a sermon and some of the things that preachers ask us to do can be quite a challenge. And yet responding to God is an essential part of becoming a Christian and being a Christian. By which I mean not just feeling different and not just thinking differently, but doing something different. Often it requires a specific physical response. And this morning I want to look at an account in the Old Testament which describes the process of responding to God that we often need to go through. And it's in the book of Second Kings and chapter 5, and hopefully the verses will appear on the screen so you can follow it. So Second Kings chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter, that he took to the, king, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of his leprosy, of my leprosy. Not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned away and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I don't know about you, I can definitely relate to to Naaman and his kind of sort of response to what Elisha asked him to do and his kind of sense of, oh, you know, I I, I was looking for something a bit, bit more spectacular from this. Um, 
But, you know, through all the kind of challenge and all the bluster, he got to a stage where he responded to God and ultimately was healed. And I want to look at five stages Naaman went through and which we need to undertake to get to a place of response. And stage one is where we find Naaman at the start. It's having accepted the situation. You know, Naaman had got used to his situation. He had leprosy. That's just the way it was. And he wasn't particularly entertaining thoughts of, of kind of anything being different. And, you know, why would you? Um, you know, at the grand old age of 34, I'm, I've kind of stopped expecting the phone to ring and the England manager to say, Steve, we've got a vacancy on the left wing. We need your left foot. Um, you know, I've kind of, I think, you know, why would I expect that? Um, um, but we can all kind of get used to situations, can't we? You know, accept the situation. And, you know, particularly, I, I suppose I'm talking about imperfect situations, things that you kind of think, well, that's not the best. It's not really how I think it should be. But, but that's just the way it is. It's, it's just kind of become normal. You know, uh, Caroline used to have a, a car when we first started going out. She used to have this old uh, Fiesta. And the back door didn't work properly. Said, well, it, it, it opened fine. The problem was it wouldn't close. If, if, you, if you opened it, then there was some kind of magic combination to all the other ways you opened and shut all the other doors to actually get it to shut. But we didn't think, oh, we need to get a new door for the car, do we? We just, whenever anybody <laughs> was sat in the back seat, we just go, don't open the door! We just kind of got used to the situation and, and adapted. You know, I, I used to really like watching, um, watching Formula One, watching the motor racing, and I still quite like watching it, but um, I, I kind of, I, I haven't really got very much time to watch Formula One, particularly as it's generally on a Sunday afternoon. And what normally happens is I, I kind of record it, I replus it, and then at kind of about eight o'clock on a Sunday night, I watch it at like six times the normal speed because I've got a half hour uh, window in which I can watch this two hour race. And do you know what, maybe I should just kind of think, I haven't got time to watch Formula One anymore, rather than just kind of try and accommodate the situation. But we can all accept the situation and kind of get used to the way things are. It said, I don't know whether it's a true story or whether it's just kind of one of those stories preachers tell, but it said that kind of baby elephants, when you get a baby elephant, that, that kind of to, to train it, they tie it to a stake in the ground. And because it's just a baby elephant, it can't pull the stake up. And, uh, and what happens is the, the kind of elephant grows up and it still gets tied to this stake. And by now, the elephant is kind of clearly strong enough to pull up some little stake out of the ground. But because it has become so conditioned, because for years it couldn't, it kind of gets used to this idea that, well, this is the way it is, isn't it? I'm tied to the ground. I can't, I can't pull it up. And we can all become like that. There's a scene in the, the film The Shawshank Redemption where which is kind of set in a, by and large, set in a men's prison where this guy gets released from prison and he just cannot handle the freedom. He's been so used to being in prison for 20 years, he doesn't know how to cope with freedom. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. And we can all have areas of our life where we just say, well, do you know what? I'm never going to be that bright. I'm never going to be that successful at whatever. You know, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's going to be. And the problem comes when that doesn't reflect the heart of God. And that brings us on to stage two, which is about being helped to have a bigger vision. So someone else helped Naaman to see things differently, to entertain thoughts that actually maybe he could be healed of his leprosy. And it wasn't somebody great or mighty or some king or anything like this. It was a little Israelite slave girl who said to him, well, why don't you go and see the man of God? And actually all of us need help from outside of ourselves. 
all of us need some kind of external input. I think, that, you know, I think that's why it's really important that we, we don't filter the Bible. You know, the Bible is this kind of fantastic external viewpoint, God's viewpoint on our lives. And the problem is when we start kind of saying, well, yeah, but I'm going to admit the bits about sexuality or about money, then actually it ceases to be something external. It's only as good as our internal filters. It's only as good as kind of my own thinking. So we need the Bible, but we also need people kind of think of some of the, the ways in which I have developed most over recent years are kind of some of the ways in which Clive has, has helped me. And I can, I can genuinely kind of think, well, if it wasn't for my pastor, I would still be like I was kind of five or ten years ago because he brings a different dynamic to me. He encourages me in ways that I wouldn't encourage myself. And we all need people in our lives who will help us, who will kind of say to us, do you know what? It doesn't have to be like that. Do you know what? It can be different. Who can have faith maybe when we don't have faith? You know what, your, your kind of relationships, you don't have to keep on having flawed and failed relationships. You know what, you don't need to keep kind of being in debt and under the circumstances. We need other people to kind of help us. And that's you know, one of the many reasons why those of us who are Christians and have got some sort of experience of God need to talk to people who, who aren't and who don't because we kind of bring that perspective that says it doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to put up with that sickness. You don't have to live under those circumstances. So stage two is about being helped to have a bigger vision. And then comes stage three, which is accepting we need help accepting we need help. It's said of Naaman that he was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. He had great success, but he couldn't heal himself. And, you know, you can have so much talent, so much ability, so much wisdom and intelligence and amazing, fantastic resources, but, you know, still be uh, still face situations which you can't resolve yourselves. And, you know, you kind of hear about it in the news, don't you? Some of the most successful businessmen have, you know, are on their fourth marriage or, you know, some people with kind of incredible talent and yet they can't relate to their children who, and they don't want to know them. And, you know, you kind of read about people who earn millions of pounds and then lose millions of pounds. Some of the most successful, talented people have some of the most dysfunctional lives. And you might have kind of heard me use this illustration before, but it's kind of like, you know, when you've got something in the boot of your car, you've, you've sort of locked something in the boot of your car. Okay, what do I do? I need to get it out. Okay, I'll get my keys. I'll open the, the boot of the car, and then I'll get it out. What do you do when it's your keys that are locked in the boot of your car? How do you get them out? And that's the problem. You know, the problem with us trying to fix ourselves is we are the problem. You know, any solution we come up with is going to be flawed because... Because that's the problem. And when we become a Christian, it's quite a challenging thing because it requires us to say, you know what, I need help. I cannot mend my relationship with God. I cannot do it myself. I can't, there's not enough good things I can do. There's no act I can perform that will kind of restore my relationship with God, that will cause God to be pleased with me. The only thing is to accept the offer of help provided through the Lord Jesus. So stage three is really important. We need to accept we need help. And then linked to that is stage four. We need to overcome pride. We need to overcome pride. And by pride, I mean kind of, you know, 
sort of uh, put, attaching a bit too much value to our own opinion or having a sense of, of kind of self-importance. And so we kind of read in this account of, of Naaman how he was asked to, uh, to do something, to go and wash seven times uh, in the Jordan. And, and Naaman was just like, no, that is ridiculous. I am not going to go and do that. I'm not going to kind of go through that. What a ridiculous uh, thing that is. Naaman was not happy with what he was asked to do. And th- th- I can de- kind of think of times when, uh, you know, as a cell leader, as a pastor, you know, I've been kind of talking to people or people have come and said, you know, I've got this issue and I need your help and I need your guidance. And, and we kind of talked through the issue. And, uh, and at the end they said, no, I don't think I should do that. No, that doesn't sound right to me. And it's just like, well, fair enough. But you know what? I'm not the one who's called this family trouble. I'm not the one addicted to gambling. You know, you're coming to me and asking me for my viewpoint. But if, if you're just going to accept as much of it as it kind of agrees with what you think anyway, actually, you're never going to break through. We need to overcome this sense of self-importance. Because sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't understand. We don't understand why he's asked us to do it. We might not kind of get what God is, is doing here, but actually we need to do it. I remember when I became a Christian, so I was brought up in a, a kind of Christian household when I was about uh, sort of 12 or 13, I decided that there were better things to do on a Sunday morning than go to church. So uh, one Sunday morning, I locked myself in the bathroom, refused to go to church. And, uh, you know, I, was, you know I, I don't want to encourage anyone, you know, any sort of... <laughs> um, and, and so I stopped going to church, and then it wasn't until I went to university that uh, kind of there was a, a friend of mine who was a Christian who um, asked if I wanted to go to church. And I, I kind of think, well, you know, a bit of nostalgia, something like that, kind of for old time's sake. And I, I went to church and went um, two or three times, actually. And, um, and I was just really impacted and convicted that, that God was real, and I needed to respond to him. You know, I, I couldn't say that, you know, I could kind of explain the, uh, the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement or anything like that. But I just knew that God was real and I had to respond to him. And so there was this kind of guy preaching. I'm not sure what he was preaching about. And he said at the end, he said, you know, so actually, if you want to become a Christian, I'd like you to put your hand up now. I'd like you to stand up. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just yeah, I thought, this is really embarrassing. This is really awkward. You know, I know this is the right thing to do, but I don't, I don't want to do it. And, uh, and, and I was just kind of sat there. And then, um, and then the, the kind of, you know, I was really convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I was sat in my seat kind of shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit, um, which is kind of, you know, God kind of coming and really kind of impacting me physically. And it was just such a hard thing to do. I don't know whether anyone else can relate to this, but sometimes it is really hard to respond to God. But I had to get over any sense of, of pride or embarrassment. Hey, you know, what, what, how hard can it be to put your hand up? And yet, kind of, it was such a, a challenge. And then even when I became a Christian, um, you know, I still found that quite a hard thing to do. And, and you know, sometimes... Um, like some of the things that um, kind of God asks us to do in meetings, they can be a bit kind of weird. I remember as a fairly young Christian, uh, I, I, <laughs> all I say is it was a good job we didn't publish in advance who was leading meetings because I can kind of remember some meeting leaders and it was always the same meeting leader who would ask us to do kind of really random things like go over to one side of the room or conga around the outside of the church or, you know, stand on your chairs or things like that. And it's just, I found that really hard. This is kind of, you know, what a weird thing 
to be asked to do. And do you know what helped me? It wasn't that I kind of I um it, it wasn't that I, I sort of talked it through with somebody. It wasn't that I um I just kind of thought, oh well, I'm going to go for it. God did something in my heart which changed me, and um, it was a completely unrelated thing. So um, I used to be a student worker, and uh, towards the end of my first year as a student worker, I was asked to, to kind of go with a team of students for a uh, to do a mission in Moscow in Russia. And I really did not want to go on this mission. I really didn't want to go uh, to Russia. And I kind of, you know, had all these sort of talked to my boss about it. And I was saying, look, I feel like my call is here in Newcastle. This is where God's called me to be. This is where I need to be. You know, I, I don't think God is calling me to go to Russia. And so we had this big, long conversation, which ended up with the fact that I had to go to Russia. And, uh, and, and I was there in Moscow. And I was so miserable. And I just thought, <laughs> oh really don't want to be here. And, uh, and at one point, I was just kind of, you know, pouring out my heart to God and saying, Lord, what is going on here? And, uh, and all I can say is that I just kind of had this, this kind of revelation, this kind of light bulb, penny-dropping moment where, where God where kind of got to me, you know, saying, nobody has sent you to Russia. I have brought you here. It was me. It was me, all right? You know, you had all this kind of fluster and all this kind of nonsense about, well, I don't feel like I'm called to do this and stuff like that. Steve, I called you here. I'm here, and I wanted you to come with me. And all I can say is that really kind of changed something about my pride and my arrogance and my kind of self-importance of thinking, well, this is what I think, so this must be the right thing to do. It was about God doing something in my heart and me realizing, well, all that time, it was God that was behind it. A couple of other things that really helped me was, at one point I had a revelation when I was, I was kind of reading the Bible, and there's a verse in, in John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says uh, of Jesus, it says, he must become greater and I must become less. And I, I kind of, I, I sort of read that and I, I, I paraphrased it or I understood it as, as kind of, uh, and read it as, you know, I've got to take God more seriously and I've got to take myself less seriously. Because sometimes we can kind of treat ourselves with a bit of too much importance, can't we? Or kind of think of ourselves a bit highly than we are. I need to take myself a lot less seriously and take God more seriously. And then another thing that, that kind of helped me is uh, we had a, a guest uh, preacher here one Sunday morning who was talking about, um, you know, some of the, the kind of televangelists you see or kind of some of the, the excesses that maybe you, you see sometimes on Christian television and men in white suits and all that kind of thing. And he was saying about how he was kind of a bit uncomfortable with some of this. And, and this guy himself was kind of on the chandelier swinging end of the charismatic church, I have to say. But he, he was saying, you know, I find it all really uncomfortable but then he said, but do you know what? If, if kind of one of these guys was down the road and having some sort of crusade or, you know, preaching or something like that, and I was there with my friend who's got cancer, would I go and would I take him? You bet I would. Because maybe, just maybe, God will show up there. Because maybe, just maybe, God works through people who are a bit too showy or who are a bit imperfect. Because actually, I am desperate enough to see my friend healed of his cancer, that I would kind of go through that and I would uh, take him to that place because I want God to touch his life. 
And all of those things really helped me to see kind of that actually I needed to get over myself a bit, that I needed to get over my pride and I needed to respond to God. So stage four is about overcoming our pride. And that brings us to stage five, which is the place of response. And eventually, Naaman was persuaded. Hey, well, you know, if he asked you to do really complicated things, you do that. He's asking you to do something quite simple, isn't he? So why don't you do that? And Naaman did it, and he was healed. And it's important that we do that too. Which kind of begs the question, well, what is it that we respond to? You know, Naaman didn't hear God or see God. There wasn't a big kind of finger that came down out of the sky and said, wash, Naaman. He, it was really about faith that the thing that uh, Elisha was asking him to do, that actually God was in that. Or that, at worst, what did he have to lose? And we can respond to different things. Sometimes responding to God is about responding to what we read in the Bible. It's about the Word of God. So we kind of read a verse in the Bible says, do not worry. And we kind of think, well, what do I do in response to that? Maybe I, it's, a, it's an encouragement that I don't have to worry and that I can kind of be at peace. But there's also a bit of an obedience that when I find myself starting to get anxious, that I stop. So we need to respond to what we read in the Bible and the Word of God. Sometimes it's about responding to to a kind of sense of of inner conscience. So the Apostle Paul talks about actually kind of everybody has this sense of right and wrong within them. And sometimes it's kind of, it's, it's about just knowing what the right thing to do is. It's kind of like I said, when I became a Christian, I didn't particularly understand the gospel, but I knew that I had to respond to God, that he was real. Um, I had a situation recently at home where we had, um, uh, by some kind of strange circumstance, we had this shed in our back garden, which we thought someone had given us, but apparently they'd only lent it to us, and now they wanted it back. So we're like, oh, what a hassle, we're going to have to kind of get this shed, which we kind of got a team of about eight guys to lift over our garage roof into the back garden. We're going to have to get it back out again. And, uh, and in the meantime, the, the, we had this kind of really bad storm, and it kind of fell over, and it broke, and it was just like, oh, you know, kind of was there and felt like, you know, we've been led down a garden path here recently, uh, re- really, and just, uh, no pun intended, we, like, we're kind of in these circumstances, and it just didn't feel like we've been treated right, or, I don't know, it's a bit funny, but I kind of felt within myself, do you know what, the right thing to do is, this shed is broken, we need to buy a new one. You know, that's what we've got to do, that's just the right thing in this situation. And sometimes we get that kind of inner conscious, that inner sense of, here's the right thing, I need to respond to it. Sometimes it's through the Holy Spirit in a direct way. So, you know, uh, read about people in the Bible who kind of see God or have this incredible revelation. Like Paul has this vision of the man of Macedonia and straight away he responds and kind of uh, does what he thinks God is saying. And sometimes God will speak to us in a direct way. Um, you know, the, the job that I have now, when I, was, um, when I was going for my interview for the job uh, two or three years ago, I kind of had this sort of sense. I felt like God said, actually, this is the job for you. You know, by the time I'd kind of applied for about 100 jobs and and stuff like that, and it was kind of like, you know, I could have felt like, here we go again. But actually, I really felt like God said, this is the job I have for you. And hey, it was. And so sometimes God speaks to us in a direct way. 
Sometimes God speaks through people and uh, through the prophetic. And so we've had a number of words brought this morning, which is about kind of God speaking to people for a wider group or for individuals. And we call it the prophetic. And sometimes God speaks to us through prophetic words. I remember not long after I became a Christian, somebody gave me a prophetic word, which is just like there was kind of so much truth in it. And actually some of it I'm still waiting to see the fulfillment of. But it's kind of about responding to what God says through people. And, and some specific people, actually, that we need to respond to are our, our leaders. I remember talking to um, somebody who was in, kind of one of the leaders who was in Clive's cell, and him talking about kind of th- this whole sense of responding to our leaders. Uh, Clive had asked us all to kind of go away and think about whether we would do some task or other. And, uh, and, and this guy was saying, so, you know, he asked us to go away and think about it. Well, I gave it, you know, a minute's thought. I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. And then he said, kind of, and then about a week later or something, Clive came up to him personally and he said, um, would you consider doing this task? And that kind of what the guy said has really helped me kind of understand how to relate to leaders since then. And he said, once Clive had asked me to do that thing, then I wasn't looking for God to say yes. I was looking for God to say no. In other words, the default is, well, Clive has asked me, and uh, you know, the Bible says that I need to submit to my leaders and obey my leaders in Hebrews 13. So really, my default is to say yes, but allow God to kind of come in and say no. And, uh, and I appreciate that's kind of quite countercultural in terms of the world, but it's quite Bible cultural in terms of the, the lifestyle we see in the Bible. And, and kind of however God speaks to us, we need to overcome our independence and take ourselves off the throne, okay, out of the driving seat. And you know what, kind of, for all of us here, we've all got different mixes of personalities and temperaments and, and kind of life languages, if you've done your life languages, which um, will affect how we respond to God or to kind of words or encouragements or, or things like that. It's important that we're aware of that. So Lily reminded us this morning of that, that kind of woman who was subject of leading and how she pressed through the crowd to touch Jesus' um, garment. And I don't know whether it was her natural temperament or whether it was just what life and her condition had done to her, but she was, you know, really kind of holding back and had a sense of shame and was quite shy in how she responded to Jesus. And then you've got kind of other accounts like blind Bartimaeus where Jesus is walking along and Bartimaeus is, is essentially, Jesus over here, come and heal me. You know, he was a little bit more extrovert, I suppose, than that, that woman. And actually, we all have different personalities and we kind of, some of us will be, you know, yes, I'm there, come on, God. And others will kind of maybe hang back. And it's important that we don't let our personalities rule whether we respond. They might shape how we respond, but it's important that, that they don't stop us from responding to God. Um, because, you know what, if those people hadn't responded to Jesus, they, I don't think they would have been healed. You know, Jesus wasn't looking out for them. He wasn't going after them. They came to him. And it's that mix of God's sovereignty and his power, but our responsibility to do that. When opportunities come, it's really important that we take them. I kind of, one of the lessons that I've learned about myself is when I fail to act straight away, I usually fail to act. When I fail to act straight away, I usually fail to act. So, you know, I have this sense of, oh, here's something I should do. But unless I kind of act on it there and then, it generally doesn't happen. So, I don't know, it was probably uh, two or three months ago, I kind of had this thought, you know, Ben and Karis, I think they might be down in Crest or something like that, they work so hard for us as a church. Do you know what I mean? They're both kind of, uh, Ben works full-time and Karis is studying full-time and they've got two kids and they kind of do so much that, you know, 
most of us don't see or appreciate. And I kind of, kind of had this sense, uh, oh, do you know what? And I talked to Caroline about it. I said, I think we should just kind of buy Ben and Karis a night out. We should go and get them a kind of voucher for Nando's and kind of voucher for the cinema, and they can just have a night out. And that would be just a kind of blessing to them. And, um, and do you know what the mistake I made is? I didn't then go to Nando's and go to the cinema and buy them that voucher. And, you know, um, if you don't tell them, they won't know. Because I haven't done anything about it. You know, I had, I had the heart. I, I wanted, you know, I wanted something good. I wanted to bless them. And I had the idea, and I kind of thought, this, I think this would be a blessing for them. I remember kind of when we had a, a kind of Christmas event a couple of years ago, and we were kind of giving out prizes like that, and Ben and Kat said, oh, that would just be our sort of night out. And I thought, oh, brilliant. But I didn't act on it. I didn't do anything. And, and you know, because I didn't do it there and then, I haven't done it two months, three months later. And so it's really important when we respond to God that we don't just engage our heart, we don't just engage our head, but actually sometimes we have to engage our bodies and our lives. And, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why kind of meeting leaders and preachers kind of encourage people say sometimes, well, why don't you get out of your seat and come down the front here? You know, and you could sit there and you think, well, there's nothing special about this area here. No, there isn't. Nor is there anything special about the two-foot square of plastic under your bottom right now. But, you know, I, I just kind of think, well, if that's what I've been asked to do, well, I'm going to go and, and do that. It's important that we engage our heads and our hearts and our bodies. The response needs to be all of us. And at the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen? You know, what have you got to lose compared to what there is to gain? What have we got to lose? So, in conclusion, I want to encourage us. Be responsive people. If you're here uh, this morning and you're not a Christian, and maybe you're kind of absorbing bits of information or, you know, on a journey to finding out about Jesus, that is, you know, great. But I would encourage you, do something with what you hear and what you see and what you learn. I remember a friend of mine talking about how he had all these objections to, to kind of Christianity, and, and yet he was kind of, he wasn't sort of satisfied, and he thought, just not sure. And so he prayed a prayer as a non-Christian. He said, Lord, you know, if you're real, will you deal with all of these objections and all these issues that I have. And you know what? God answered every one of them for him, but he still had to do something with that. He still had to respond to God. A few years ago, I was in Edinburgh um, helping with a student mission, and I met this guy, and he was the most frustrating guy I've ever met. Not, like, not in himself, not in his personality. He knew kind of everything. He knew the Bible. He knew the gospel. He understood what Jesus did. He accepted it. He believed it was real. He, he kind of, you know, hung around with Christians and stuff like that, but he just, just couldn't seem to take that step of commitment. And it was just like the most frustrating thing. You kind of, you're there. What is stopping you? What is holding you back? We need to take that step of commitment and we need to do it straight away and it's not because I'm worried about you kind of being hit by a bus when you leave here because you know the devil doesn't need to send a bus to knock you down you, know, you just need to go home and put the telly on and actually all those kind of things you've been thinking and all those sort of ideas will suddenly you know become much smaller or just go to work tomorrow morning and there you go it's over it's gone we need to do something with the revelation we get about Jesus or maybe you're here this morning and you've made 
a commitment to God. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, maybe some sort of sense of conviction, might be kind of, you know, fear of, of eternal consequences. might just be because you've got some friends who are Christians and they're kind of cool, so I'll join in with you. It might be that here that you're a, a young man and uh, you like the look of a young Christian lady. Hey, there's many a young man in the kingdom of God today because of attractive young Christian ladies. Um, for whatever reason, you might have made a commitment and I want to encourage you, God has a great life for you, a great life for you. It's called discipleship. And I would encourage you, you know, respond to God. Get yourself a cell leader if you haven't got one and listen to them. Hang around them. Invite yourself around for tea. Paul Carice will give you some lessons in how to do that. <laughs> it's very Christ-like. But, you know, kind of just respond, continue to respond to God. And when bits of your old life start to feel a bit uncomfortable, that's really good. It means you need to leave them behind because God has got something better for you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian a while. Let me encourage you, keep responding to God because it it never stops because God wants to take you to new places and grow you in new ways. And so it's going to continue to be uncomfortable sometimes because sometimes new places are a little bit uncomfortable. But what have you got to lose? Become more sincere in your pursuit of God so that the price you need to pay along the way becomes less and less significant. And I want to encourage us all, when somebody asks you to stand up or come forward or stand on your head, whatever, do it. Not, Not because they're magical things to do, but... What have you got to lose? I remember when I went, to, a few years ago, I went to Bogota. And my, my Sally encouraged me. He said, just go forward for everything. Well, not everything, you know. And, you know, young ladies who want to have a husband, don't go forward. But, <laughs> but generally, kind of assume you're going to respond to what God is doing. Um, and I want to encourage you. Um, when when you, your pastors and your church leaders encourage you to, to do something... Respond, not, not just because you're responding to your leader, although that, that's important and biblical, but because you're responding to God. And maybe, like me in Moscow, it's God that's asking you to do it. It was him all along. So this morning, uh, I've got t- two ways in which I want to respond, and then I think Andy's got a few kind of words that people have been bringing through the meeting that would be good for us to hear. And the first response is, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, well, I'd like to encourage you to do something with what you've seen and you've heard. Jesus said in, in the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament, this fantastic kind of verse, this picture that sums up his offer of life. It says, here I am, it's Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So there is an offer of life. There is an offer of healing. There is an offer of forgiveness of uh, infinitely, qualitatively better life than the one you are living at the minute. But it's important that we respond to Jesus. And the, the, the initial way, the first way we do that is to pray a prayer. And I just put a prayer on the, the screen that kind of sums up something we can say to Jesus to do it. It says, Jesus, I want to respond to your offer of help. I want to know you. Please help me. Please forgive my selfish independence and help me get out of the driving seat of my life. Only you can give me the power to change and become the person you created me to be. Amen. 
And so in a minute, we, we, um, I'm going to ask us all to stand. I'm going to ask us all to pray that prayer. But if you are praying that prayer for the first time, at the minute you're not a Christian and you want to become a Christian, well, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up because it's important that we respond. And I, you know, I, I know coming from a place of knowing that's really hard to do, but I know it's really important because you can pray that prayer and then you can go home and actually life will just get on top of you. And uh, it's important that we can kind of come alongside you and help you. So can I invite us all to stand and um, to pray this prayer together. So Jesus, should we all read it together? I want to respond to your offer of help. I want to know you. Please help me. Please forgive my selfish independence and help me to get out of the driving seat of my life. Only you can give me the power to change and become the person you created me to be. Amen. So I'm going to invite us all to bow our heads. But if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer and to become a Christian, I'd like you to put your hand up so I can see it. And it's a really important thing that we do that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Okay, for everyone, for, for all of us, and particularly if we've you know, been a Christian some time, this is not just about saying yes to Jesus and becoming a Christian. And it's not just about putting a hand up in a meeting or going forward to a call for ministry. This is about being a responsive person. And I want to encourage us all that you know, we should be responsive to God in every area of our life. So I want to ask you, actually, if you want to make a fresh commitment to be responsive to God, and whatever that means and whatever that entails, I want to ask you to put your hand up and just in your own words, for one minute, we're going to pray. So if you kind of say, I want to be a responsive person, I want to be the kind of person who responds to God, put your hand up and just in your own words, I'd like you to say that to the Lord and then I will pray. Father, I want to thank you that the Bible tells us your will is good and pleasing and perfect. That what you have for us is the very best for us, Lord God. And in in, in kind of responding to you, we're doing it from a place of knowing that you love us and you want the very best for us. Lord, however uncomfortable it may be, however hard, however challenging, Lord God, we know that to respond to you is to respond to a call to the best. And so I want to pray, Lord God, for each one of us, for those of us who've raised our hands, Lord God, would you help us? Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh this morning, Lord God? So when we hear you speak, we listen and we do differently, Lord God. When we see you at work, Lord God, we say, I want to be in in the, the kind of the flow of the Spirit and not going in a different direction, Lord God. So that when we're in that place of discomfort or challenge, Lord God, that we do the right thing and not do nothing. Lord, would you help us? 
Lord God. I want to pray this week, Lord God. I want to pray that you give us opportunities to respond to you. I want to pray that for opportunities to respond to the, the kind of people in search of the gospel, Lord God. I want to pray for opportunities to respond for people who need a miraculous, supernatural touch of God, that we would pray for them. Lord God, I want to pray just that we would kind of embrace the, the new things that you have for us in this week ahead, Lord God. Whether it's going to an all-night prayer meeting or whether it's just about contributing differently in our cell group or whatever it is, Lord, help us to respond to the best you have. In Jesus' name. Before we finish, um, when we're upstairs praying, um, can you can you just keep playing?